really quickly. We are in a series called DNA, Who We Are as a Church. And we've been talking about just reminding ourselves, hopefully recommitting ourselves to who we are, who we want to be as a church. Why, why did we start this in the first place? And we said we want to be a church that is grounded in gospels, the gospel, period. That in what, what God has done by sending his son Jesus and, and his plan to redeem all things and, and to call a people to himself that would be with him forever. Um, and that story, that gospel, be the ground, the founding, the beginning, the center, and the end of all that we do here. And we talked about gospel-centered worship. And, and we're, right now we're talking about gospel-centered community uh, yes, last week and this week, and then we'll talk about gospel-centered mission as well, reaching those who don't know that good news story. And so, uh, chapter uh, 3, uh, starting in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence to firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak through your word this morning. Because we believe that the, that the Bible, the, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament are infallible. They'll never be proven wrong. They are inerrant. There's no error in them. And what the Bible says is true is true. And we know that when we come to your word, DNA groups. That DNA just stands for, it's an acronym for discovering the gospel, nurturing one another, and, and holding one another accountable and acting out. And, and living in a way that, that God would call us to. So it's just a stupid acronym, but it was called our DNA groups. It has nothing to do with the ser- sermon series, although maybe this should be the heart of this sermon series because, let me just say, go ahead and say it. Every one of us needs to be in a DNA group. Why? That's what I want to answer today. I want to try to prove to you that it is not just an add-on, it's, just not, it's not just a luxury, it's not something that's an option. Oh, I think I might do that, I might not. But this is like extremely, extremely important for every one of us as God's people to be, if not in a DNA group, I don't care what you call it, but in what DNA is attempting to do, which is that we would be together in life on life together. And in our DNA groups, or just a format, and try to have that happen, okay? And so, let me just stop and say this. Because I'm supposed to be selling this to you. And I want to sell this. Like, <clears throat> I think the passage itself will hopefully make it compelling enough. But let me just make a confession. 
I don't always like DNA. I don't like accountability. And as a matter of fact, you know, our, our DNA group, the one that I've been leading, whatever, has kind of gotten pretty slack. We don't meet all the time, that kind of stuff. I've gotten comfortable and enjoy that fact. Just be honest with you. There's part of me that doesn't like to be asked hard questions. There's part of me that doesn't want people in my business. There's part of me that loves being by myself, doing my thing, and not have anybody have anything to say about that. Okay? So let me just get that out there and say, I need to hear this sermon probably, if not as much, more than you do. Okay? So let's just get that on the table. Before I stand up here and look high and mighty and try to look down on my glasses, across my glasses at you and point my finger at you, that is not the goal today. But rather that we would really look at this text this morning and humbly ask ourselves, does this speak to me? Okay? And so we, here in Hebrews 3, this passage, actually the whole chapter, we, um, we, we have three direct reasons why we must be in DNA groups or something like it, okay? Three reasons. First of all, we need DNA groups. We need to be in DNA groups because of the great promise, because of our great gospel. And so the book of Hebrews, if anywhere in the Bible, it it elevates Jesus and the supremacy just getting up to this point, verses 3 through 4. Is that up there? Awesome. Okay, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become such a superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so Jesus isn't just some dude that walked this earth. He wasn't just a good teacher. He is, in fact, God himself, the exact um, representation of God's being who created this universe and, and, and who is in all glory equal to God. This and becomes so much better than angels and anything else you can imagine. Jesus is superior. And then in chapter 2, verses 14 and 17, he goes on, and he's getting to painting this picture. Uh, and he says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that means us, we're humans, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it was not angels that he helps, but he... So in other words, he doesn't just help... He could have just helped angels, saved angels, but no. Instead, he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation, atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. And that's just leading up to our passage. And throughout the book, he continues to climb higher, climb higher, climb higher into the supremacy and the glories and the, the, the value of, the, of Jesus and the gospel done 
completed end of story for us. And so, as he does that, he almost interrupts himself on a regular basis throughout this this book. He interrupts himself in warnings. It's almost as if he's taking us on a mountain climb. So we get our gear on, we got our new shoes on, we got our Patagonia jackets, and here we go. And we're hiking up, and the higher we get into the glories and excellencies of God and Jesus, the higher we get, the more he stops and says, be careful, watch out, watch your step. And and he's interrupting himself over and over and over again. For example, Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, he starts almost right away. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So as he takes us higher and higher into this mountain, to the high reaches of the excellencies and the glories of Jesus, he keeps warning us. And so it's this book of... Of, of glory and warnings. Glory and warnings throughout. And then we get it right here. Beginning in chapter 3. Watch out, brothers. Take care. We'll get to that in a second. But let me just, let me just, let, let, let me just say something, okay? That you may or may not have heard before, okay? But there's the reality in the New Testament that salvation is conditional. Salvation is conditional. Now, let me just stop because I know you're going to say, Russell, don't you always say that said that? Okay. So, we need ZA, first of all, because of the greatness, the beauty, the, 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 the immensity, and the, and the excellencies of who Christ is and what he has done for us. That is the first thing. It's because there is an amazing, beautiful goal to be attained to which is that we would know Christ, be known by Him, and that we would walk into glory with Him. Amen? So we have a goal in mind. There's more to our faith than just living a good life. Secondly, so we need DNA groups because of the great promise. Secondly, we need DNA groups, we need to be in them, because of the dire warning here. So there's a warning here, we've already said. And the warning here. Is, is pointed right at us. We're right in the crosshairs. So here in this passage, there's a warning that we should take care that we would not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now this, this, this phrase, take care here, that he uses, it's, it's a Greek word that just look, means to look, to pay attention. Watch out is probably a good way to say it. If you were to, like, I'm, translate this in a more vernacular way you would say watch out or if you're in England mind the gap or something like that it's like warning warning right and here's the thing though we don't pay attention to warning signs all the time do we like they're they're ubiquitous there's warning labels on everything whatever we we don't pay attention to warning signs and I can remember I grew up in uh in the Atlanta area Atlanta Georgia area near Decatur and right outside of there is this place called Stone Mountain and Stone Mountain is exactly as it's described. It is a mountain made entirely out of stone. It's this 
weird rock sticking up. Well, you can hike up the back of that mountain, but the, the rest, most of the mountain, probably two-thirds of the mountain, has like these cliffs. I mean, they just fall off. Well, there's warning signs and little fences. They're little fences. I don't know why they're so little, but there's little fences, and there's warning signs. Don't go any farther. If you go any farther, you're in danger. But the problem is, it doesn't look like it at that point. So a lot of people... I don't know if it's still true, but when I was growing up, every year this would happen. A lot of people decided that, oh, that didn't look like that's that dangerous, that little fence. I can go, I just hop right over that little fence. And they would go, and then they would begin to wander over to the edge and eventually to the point where it was too late. And they would slip and slide and eventually plunge to the bottom. And they wouldn't make it because they heeded the warning. And that's what's going on here. He's, he's saying, watch out. Now, we're watching this new, sh- the new show that's based off a really old show, Lost in Space. Anybody seen that on Netflix yet? Come on. I, right? But y'all remember the robot? And the, it was, the robot was in the old and the robot's in the new. And what does he say? Warning, Will Robinson, right? He still looks kind of dorky, just like the old dorky one. that had like, they had like dryer tubes for arms and stuff. It was awesome. Like, warning, Will Robinson, right? And you know... When he says, warning, Real Robinson, in the show, you get tense because, like, you know something bad's about to happen, right? Because he wouldn't say it otherwise. And this is what's going on here. He's saying, watch out. Pay attention. Okay? And he says, do that. He says, while, it, you can, while it's still called today, while there's still a chance, before you get too far to a point where of no return, a point where you can't turn back. So he's saying, do it now. Pay attention Here's the real, and, and, he, and he's warning us, and he's going to use a story. As a matter of fact, he's going to do what I would do as a good preacher. The author of Hebrews is a good preacher. He's going to find a, a biblical text that will illustrate his point. And he looks to Israelites and their story. And he looks back at what happened in the desert with the Israelites. And you all know the story, right? You've at least seen the cartoon, right? Where, you know, let my people go. You know, there's a song about it and everything. That there was a cartoon about, about how God, uh, how the Israelites ended up in Egypt because of famine. And they prospered. And then the, the pharaohs, the pharaoh, of Eng, uh, the king and pharaoh of Egypt didn't like them. And began to oppress them, put them in slavery and so on. And so God sent Moses to, to miraculously deliver them out of the hands of, of the Egyptians and, and used miracles and powers and wonders, a pillar of fire and so on, and led them out with all these amazing uh, of signs and wonders and, and showing his glory and power and so on. However, time and time again, the people grumbled, complained, and, and, and at times would say, what, what have, you, have you brought us out here to die in the desert? And so there's this constant battle and this constant grumbling and complaining that came out of the Israelites. And, but here's the thing. Have you ever wondered, I mean, yes, beyond the, the golden calf. Have you ever wondered, like, you know, if you look here in verses... Um, uh, uh, 7 through um, 11. It says, 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so God basically says, you will not enter his rest, which for them was the promised land. Do you ever wonder, like, what was the deal there? What was so bad that they did? Where were, why were they in such a bad place that God would become wrathful and basically take away their promised land? Now, the author of Hebrews wants us to do here is to step into the shoes of the Israelites and ask the same question. Because it says, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear the, the Holy Spirit's voice, What are you going to do with it? Every time we come to God's word, we should hear his voice because God speaks always through his word. And when we come to his word, there's always a choice. When the gospel comes to us, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to listen to it? Are you going to obey it? Or are you going to resist it? And that's what he's doing here. He's asking us that question. So what was it that was leading and causing these Israelites to turn away, to rebel against God? What did that rebellion look like? And so um, the Israelites, let me just give you all a a layout of, I think, what they did. Actually, this is not me. This comes from uh, the, the great Puritan theologian John Owens. I had to distill this down out of some huge paragraphs, page-long paragraphs. Okay? But he basically laid it out this way. That the Israelites, first of all, grew in dissatisfaction where God had put them. So their situation seemed bad. God had led them there, and they grew sad, dissatisfied with where God had them. Secondly, they began to disbelieve his plain and direct promises to them. God had said, I'm taking you to a promised land. I'm I'm promising you these things. And so they began to disbelieve those things. And then they began to omit things that God had required of them. Because of their dissatisfaction and disbelief, they began to say, well, we don't need to do everything God does. Maybe we should do things our way. And so then they began to turn aside and seek unwarranted assistance for help. In other words, instead of doing things God's way, God's way, instead of doing what he would command, they began to take matters into their own hands. We see that, for example, when they, they're thirsty and they don't know what to do and they, they have Moses you know, smack the rock with his stick in order to have water. And it was basically taking matters into their own hands. And so, there's a warning here. And he gives us the warning, okay, that we, like the Israelites, would first of all not have an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, when, I first, when you first hear that, you think evil heart. Like, I don't have an evil heart. Like, evil heart is like wicked, like bad guy in a movie kind of thing. Hitler had an evil heart. I don't have an evil heart. But here's the thing, though, and the, the, the grammar here is helpful, is it's evil 
comma, unbelieving. So unbelieving describing evil, evil describing unbelieving. And so he's saying an unbelieving heart is an evil heart, an evil heart is an unbelieving heart. And here's the thing. Why, what does he mean unbelieving? Because here's the reality of it. Every sin, at its heart, at the core of every sin, is an unbelief, a lie, or a, or a disbelief. Believing something that's not true. Not believing what is true, and believing something that's not true. Tim Chester, in his book, uh, How, How You Can Change, an excellent book, he talks about it, how, how we disbelieve for realities of God. Now, there's a, lot that, there's a lot more about God. There's a lot we don't believe about God. But you could categorize four areas we tend to not believe God. And we begin to disbelieve and to believe a lie. And the first of those is, is God great? In other words, is God in charge? Is God sovereign? Is he in control of everything? And if I begin to not believe that, I start to think, oh, no, God's not in control, or I don't want him in control, so guess what? i got to start controlling everything. Secondly, is God glorious? Is God to be feared? Is he holy and righteous and to be feared and respected? And then is his opinion of me the most important thing in the world? Because if it's not and he's not glorious, guess what? I start to be controlled by my fear and, and, and desire of other people's opinions of me. And then thirdly, is God good? So fine if he's glor- great and glorious, is God good? Or... Do I have to look elsewhere for goodness? Do I have to look elsewhere for what I need? And then lastly, is God gracious? Do you believe it? Or are you trying to prove yourself? Prove yourself to yourself, trying to prove yourself to other people, maybe even trying to prove yourself to God? And in these four areas, when we disbelieve them, it begins to produce a variety of sins in our lives. And as a matter of fact... What it produces at its heart is self-sufficiency and autonomy. Okay, autonomy. Autonomy. Say, what is that? Okay, it's basically saying, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. We see this with kids right away. It's like we're born with this idea. It's like, you know, a kid may not want, kids like, I don't want to do what you've told me to do. And self-sufficiency says, I can do everything I, I can get, everything I need, and I can be who I want to be, and I can do what I want to do, all be in, because of me and what I can have. So I am sufficient in myself to do what I want. Now, Paul David Tripp, talking about this, says, if you don't think you're self-sufficient, let me ask you a question. Do you... Are you digging into God's word for wisdom every day? Because if not, you've bought the lie of self-sufficiency. Or do you pray regularly, seeking his help? If not, you've bought into the lie of self-sufficiency. And so the Israelites stopped believing the truths that were laid before them, the promises of God. And so it led to 
the deceitfulness of sin. So he said, watch out that you wouldn't have this unbelieving heart that would lead to the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is a lie. And a lie, and especially if you're lying to yourself, it's the worst kind of lie. But look at John Piper really uh, does well with this. He says this about, about deceitfulness of sin. You got that quote? There you go. Awesome. Sin is preferring anything to God. Therefore, all sin, whether, excuse me, alluring us to be, alluring us, excuse me, or being experienced by us is deceitful. And all sin is a lie because nothing is more preferable than God. Therefore, all sin, which consists in preferring anything to God, is lying to us. And the worst kind of lie is when you lie to yourself. And it's, it's like being blind. It's, it's hard to be blind, but if you know you're blind, it helps. If you're a blind person and you know you're blind, you start to make accommodations for that. And the problem is, what's being described here is the deceitfulness of sin. We become blind people who have no idea we're blind. And so the warning is that we wouldn't be caught in the deceitfulness of sin because it leads to hardening of the heart. It leads to hardening of the heart. And it's like... Uh, if you were to, I don't know if I was to ever go out and walk on, if I go outside without my shoes on and there's anything on the ground, like, I'm like, oh, 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 right? Because I have tender feet and they feel even the smallest thing. Even a Lego in the middle of the night that has spikes coming out of it, right? But there's people who don't wear shoes very often in this world and they run around and they can run over rocks and all kinds of things, but their feet have become pounded down and hardened. And that's what's being described here. It's like dirt that is packed down and it, and it can't be penetrated by anything. One person put it this way. Unbelief, therefore, is another way of describing what happens as the truth and beauty and worth of Christ become less and less desirable, less and less welcome, less and able to touch and penetrate the hardening heart. And so the, the more it gets hardened, the harder it gets. And so you end up in a really dangerous situation. You don't know it. It's deceiving you. And it, the harder it gets, the harder truth is to penetrate. And it, it reminds me of the amazing movie, Ice Age 2. There's this amazing scene. Actually, if you really think about this scene, it's, it, to me it's terrifying. Okay, it's the, the bully mammoth and a couple of the other characters, the sloth and another one, or the, uh, the saber-toothed tiger thing guy, All right? And they're trying to, to rescue their friend, and they're, they're making their way, and they have to cross this valley, and they're using this rope to cross it. But as they go down into this little valley, there's this green gl- gas that's floating around. And as they, they travel into this green gas, um, they start to hysterically laugh. As this gas begins to have an effect on them. And they're laughing and laughing. And you're laughing too because if you hear somebody laugh, you laugh, right? I can't, you can't help it. Just watching somebody really laugh makes me laugh. And they're laughing. And they're laughing at each other laughing. And, and they're starting to look funny at each other and stuff because their brains and minds are starting to warp or whatever. And then, thankfully, one of them looks around and notices that all around them there's a lot of bones, and the reality begins to kind of set in as they laugh. 
and laugh that all these other animals that are around them have basically laughed themselves to death because the gas that they're breathing is, is, is deceiving them and it's making them feel like, oh, everything's okay. This is funny. This is awesome. And yet it is killing them at the same time. What a picture of the deceitful, hardening effects of sin. And people every day in this world go laughing right off the cliff into God's judgment. It's terrifying. And this warning should make us stop and say, wait, whoa. Warning, Will Robinson. Warning, danger. Watch out. There's danger. There is a danger. And he's talking to believers here. And the frightening verse is this, we see in verse 19. We see that they were unable to enter his rest because of unbelief. The glories and excellencies of what Christ has done for us by going to the cross and being raised again to purchase us eternity with him could be in danger. And we need to take this warning seriously. Paul Tripp said that, the result of this hardening is the fruit is, is self-sufficiency and autonomy. And the fruit of self-sufficiency and autonomy is a, a lifestyle of isolation and self-protection. And isolation and self-protection are enemies of grace. And so, we need to listen to this warning. And here's the thing, though. The good news, he gives us a solution. He gives us means, some help here. Okay, so we need DNA because of the indispensable means. It is the indispensable means. Okay, God's Word has given us one, let me tell you, one tangible, actual solution to this terrifying problem. Now look around the room. Look at each other for a second. That's it, guys. And I know you're thinking, oh, no, I'm in trouble. But no, that is the solution he gives is right here the one solution throughout the bible that god gives is a warning to this terrifying issue the the potential that we would begin to slowly slip and begin to make our way to the edge of that mountain to the point of no return the one solution is one another Verse 13, Hebrews 3, 13 says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the solution is one another. And that we would exhort one another. That word means to call along to the side. As a matter of fact, this is the verb form of the title that Jesus says in, in uh, uh, John chapter uh, 14. He says, I'm sending you a helper. And the helper is the Holy Spirit. We, not that we are to act as each other's Holy Spirit, but maybe in some ways we kind of are. That we are to step in alongside of one another, encouraging, helping, pushing, shoving, warning each other as we go along. We need that. Because listen, 
let's, let's put it in the medical terms. This is like a, a, a warning that you might get, you know, that you need to get regular checkups. And so if you were to study heart disease, you would realize that heart disease kills more people in this country every day than any other way you can die. It kills more people than car accidents, kills more people than uh, cancer, and any number of things combined. Heart disease is horrible. It kills so many people. And, and so, the, what we need to do then, in our physical bodies, is go get a checkup, right? We need somebody to look and see and tell us, is there something wrong or not? I don't know about you, but I don't know how to do that. And even if you're a doctor, you might need somebody to go take your blood and do all this stuff and EKGs and whatever else you might need to determine whether or not your heart is healthy or not. So, for example, um, my brother-in-law, Charlie, we prayed for him earlier this morning. He was going about his life. Things were going pretty well, although he had these weird episodes of behavior. The last one involves him jumping on the back of a police officer in Atlanta and gets, gets arrested. And we were thankful for that because when he went to the, to the uh, police station, he, he wasn't answering questions very well. And so they sent him to, the, to Grady Hospital. And, you know, they, they determined he wasn't acting right either. And so they started doing a lot of scans and checks. And they scanned his brain. And they found seven centimeters tumor in his brain now we could have said you know he could have just gone on and you know all these behavioral problems we could have said well you should go see a counselor or maybe a psychologist maybe you should get a self-help book and teach you how to better love your wife and not go on crazy rampages where you jump on police officers rip backs or whatever right we could have said all that but no he needed a checkup he needed heart check or he needed a brain check in his case and he needed a serious look at the real situation that was going on because if he didn't find that it would have grown and grown and grown and it would kill him and it may still but now there's means going in he's going into duke university and they're going to cut his brain open again and put polio virus into this cavity where this tumor is to try to get the body to kill it. It's nuts. They're going some drastic measures. And sometimes we need drastic measures. So here's the thing. The, the, the author here, be careful here, is not warning us against specific sins. Specific sins are bad enough. But what he's getting to is the heart of, he's warning us about unbelief. And unbelief is what produces this, this fruit of many different sins. And so when we come together, so I, when I first became a Christian, I was told, you need to be in an accountability group. And so I said, okay. We said, okay. And so I meet with some guys, and we, every, we'd sit down, and we'd study the Bible a little bit, and then we would have our accountability buddy moment. We are like, so how did you do this week? Did you look at any girls? What, you know, did you cheat any tests? You know, whatever. And we went through the list of sins, and, and you know, we would all have, yeah, yeah, you know, it was that, that, that girl in first period class or whatever, I struggle there. You know, we would, we would kind of compare, our, and, we, and then we'd be like, oh, okay, well, you know, we'd forgive each other, and we'd move on or whatever. And, and let me just tell you, that helped nothing. Because what, what needed to happen is to say, okay, 
you were looking at the girl in first period class or you cheated on that test. Why? What was in your heart? What aspect of unbelief was in your heart that was causing you to do that? Because every sin, we've said, starts with a lie. So accountability at its heart isn't coming together in DNA. It's not just about rehearsing or reviewing how well we did or how bad we did the week before or whatever. It's really to come down under the surface and ask, where are you in the area of unbelief? Are you not believing God is great, that, he's not, that God is glorious? Are you not believing that he's good and that he's gracious? Those are just four ways you could look at it. So, what do we do in DNA? The goal of DNA is, first of all, about exposing and challenging the lies we believe. Secondly, okay, it's about confessing and exposing those areas. Turning the lights on, so to speak. Because sin is like a fungus or a bacteria or mold. It loves dark places. Proverbs says in uh, chapter 28, 13, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will attain mercy. And then lastly, we need to point people, each other, back to the excellencies of Jesus. So it's not just a negative thing, guys. It's about exposing the lies and confessing those, but then it's about pointing each other back to the goodness of Jesus. Piper talks about this being true friendship is, is, is a Christian hedonistic friendship. We point back to the joy of who Jesus is. He is better. He's enough. Don't leave him. Be strong. God has you in his hand. God is great. He's good. He's glorious. He's gracious. He has what you need. Go back to that. Let's pray and ask God, because I know you don't want to do that right now. I know you don't want to turn away from that sin. I know it seems good, but look at Jesus. Look at him. He is better. That's what we do, and we need to do it. If we can't do it every day, we need to do it all, every week at least. We need to be in that community. We need to hear it over and over and over again, because guess what? You're hearing the lies over and over and over again. We wake up telling ourselves lies. I don't need God. I can do this. In fact, I don't want to do what God says. I don't like what he tells me today. Autonomy. I got this. I can, I can provide for myself. I can get what I need. I can be what I need. Self-sufficiency. And then, then we start protecting ourselves. We start isolating ourselves. And we start down the slope. We need DNA. So this morning, if you're not a believer and you haven't received beauty of what Jesus has done for you. He he went to the cross. He died for you and he was risen on the third day so that you can make it to the promised land. You can find eternal rest with him forever. Believe it and receive it. But those of us who are believers and I would guess that most of us in here are I would hope. We need to be in DNA together. This is not an optional thing. This is not an extra. 
This is at the, if you do anything, do this. We gather here on a Sunday morning to, 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 to enjoy the ordinary means of God's grace. We sing together. We, pr- we pray to God together. We enjoy, um, the, 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 hopefully you enjoy, the preaching of his word. And we enjoy coming to his table. And this, this is a means of grace. But let me tell you, the heart of your growth in Christ will be when you meet with one or two other people and they know you, they know the insides of your life enough and they can begin to help you expose the lies so you can confess and turn away from them. We need this. It is not an option. It is essential. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and these truths, Lord. It's a, it's a scary warning. And Lord, um, I pray that you would um, help us um, to heed this warning. Lord, that we would figure out a way to make this a priority. That we would, if it's not a DNA group, we'd find some other people to do it with. People who could press and know the name of Jesus. So Lord, help us, Lord, that we would not um, be deceived by sin, turning us to an evil, unbelieving heart, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So help us to take heed. And so, Father, we need you in this. Because it is in these groups that we can be pointed back again and again to our desperate need of your mercy and grace. So help us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so real quick, before we start, we do our communion, I I mentioned the connection cards. And so if you're not in a DNA group, let us know. Right on that card, I want to be in a DNA group. I need to find. So and what we're trying to do is, is have enough groups that meet at different times. So, for example, the guys, we're going to have a group that meets on, the, on a weekday evening. We're going to have a group that meets on Saturday morning. Uh, I, think we're, uh, I think some of the guys are going to start one over in Fleming Island after work. Whatever it takes, we're going to figure out a way to ha- get people into these DNA relationships so that you can be life on life together um, because this isn't an option. Let me tell you, and again, let me go back to what I said before. I don't, this isn't something I say, oh, yay, let's go do this. I mean, part of me does not like, I like isolation and self-protection. That is my natural go-to. But I know the desperate need, and especially having gone through and studying this passage, this is not like an extra. This is not extracurricular. This is at the heart. This is core curriculum, guys. So let us make it important. So use those connection cards. And, but as we come back this morning to the table, the Lord's table, communion, um, we're reminded of the, of the promise, the, the goal that is set before us, that Jesus, while glorious, the exact radiance of who God is, creator of the universe in perfect harmony and unity and fellowship with God forever forsook forsook that became a man dwelt among us and died a death that we deserve so that we could be in union and fellowship with him forever and that is our goal that is the rest that is the promised land before us and so let us celebrate that together as Jesus Uh, instituted on the night that he was betrayed he took the bread and said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me
the same manner, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant, which is ratified by the shedding of my blood. Drink all this in remembrance of me. And so we would ask everyone here who, who believes and trusts and has received the forgiveness and the, and the, the, the sacrifice death of Jesus on your behalf to come and celebrate this table together this morning, reminding us of the value and supremacy and excellencies of Christ on our behalf. So we'd ask you to come and celebrate together and hang on to the elements and we will celebrate it together at Holy Communion.